Thank you, Owen. Let me add my welcome to Owen's. My name's Andy. I'm on the staff here in the church, planting a church here in Dundee in Charleston. And we're looking through the book of Ezekiel in these evening services, and we come now to uh, the wonderful, magnificent Ezekiel chapter 34. Um, So please do turn there. It's on page 865 of the church Bibles. Um, This really is uh, a fundamental passage to understanding a key theme that is carried in the New Testament about the identity of the Lord Jesus. And it is an incredible passage. And it comes at probably the lowest moment of Israel's history. Ezekiel, the prophet we've been saying, is, uh, spoke God's word around 600 years before Jesus, and it was when Israel was in a real crisis. They were meant to be God's chosen people, but for hundreds of years they had rebelled against him. And so in an act of judgment, 597 BC, God sent the great and mighty Babylonian empire to Israel's capital city of Jerusalem, and they sacked the city and took most of the residents back to Babylon as prisoners, including Ezekiel himself. I say this every week, but it's important to restate it that, that for the exiles in Babylon, their hope was tied into returning to Jerusalem. That's what they thought um, they needed for God's promises to them to be kept and fulfilled. They were hoping that they could return back to God's covenant city of Jerusalem. But Ezekiel is called by God to tell these exiles, don't put your hope in that apostate city because I'm going to destroy it completely. I'm going to put my temple in ruins and my glory will leave. And so for five years, that was Ezekiel's sermons. That was Ezekiel's message to the exiles. What a message of judgment. In fact, in chapter 3, we are told that God made Ezekiel mute so that the only time he could speak was to the exiles to speak to them about this judgment. The first 24 chapters of Ezekiel then are all parables and, and signs that Ezekiel is to perform to get the exiles to start to take the judgment of God seriously. And it ends in chapter 24 with a final devastating sign that God gives through Ezekiel. On the 12th of January, 586 BC, Ezekiel's wife dies. And he is told by God that he is not allowed to publicly mourn for her. And the exiles knew Ezekiel loved his wife. And so when they saw him not mourning for his wife, they asked him, why, why is this happening? And God speaks through Ezekiel to tell these exiles that as the delight of Ezekiel's eyes, his wife was taken from him, then so too shall the delight of Israel's eyes, the temple, the city, be taken from her. And on that very day, the 12th of January, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon assembled another great army to return to Jerusalem and to level the city for good. But judgment was never meant to be the final word. In fact, just turn back to Ezekiel 24. It's such an important chapter, and I know we didn't look at it because we've only got 10 weeks to look through this whole book. But turn back to Ezekiel 24. See how this all fits together. Ezekiel 24, and look at verse um, 25. 
This is God speaking. And you, son of man, on the day I take away their stronghold, their joy and glory, the delight of their eyes, their heart's desire, and their sons and daughters as well. On that day, a fugitive will come to you to tell you the news. At that time, your mouth will be opened. You will speak with him and will no longer be silent. So you will be assigned to them and they will know that I am the Lord. You see, when Jerusalem is finally destroyed, Ezekiel's mouth will be opened, and he will no longer be confined to messages of judgment and woe. And then what we have in in chapters 25 through to 32, and Sam really helped us last week with that section, we have these oracles of judgment that God pronounces on all the nations surrounding Israel. God knows that when Jerusalem does finally fall, his his people will be tempted by the apparent power and beauty of these nations. And so he wants to remind them, don't look to those nations for help. Don't look to them for aid. For my presence will not be there. And they too will face judgment. And then it happens. The lowest moment in Israel's history. Turn forward just to chapter 33 verse 21. This verse sums up the lowest moment in the history of the people of God. In the twelfth year of our exile, in the tenth month on the fifth day, a man who had escaped from Jerusalem came to me and said, the city has fallen. Now the evening before the man arrived, the hand of the Lord was on me and he opened my mouth before the man came to me in the morning So my mouth was opened and I was no longer silent. It's gone. The covenant city, Jerusalem. And with it, all the hopes of Israel and all the promises of God. And so all that's left now of this nation that's meant to bless the world is this tiny ragtag group of prisoners in a shanty town by the rivers of Babylon. They have no king. They have no land. They have no temple. They have no city. They have no assurance of God's presence. And it seems to them that all these promises that God made to them are gone. But Ezekiel is now free to speak. And when he speaks now from God in chapters 34 to 48, we see some of the most amazing promises of restoration. See, God's saying, don't look back to Jerusalem. Don't look back to that the old way of doing things. Rather, look forward now to the good thing, this new thing, that God is going to be doing. Everything that they thought that they had lost in the exile is going to be restored in a glorious new way. You see, God's plans for Israel weren't ruined through the judgment of the exile. They were realized through it. And so this promise of restoration, it begins here in chapter 34. And it begins with the promise of a new leader, of a glorious new shepherd king. Let's read it, Ezekiel chapter 34. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? 
You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered over all the mountains and on every hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched for them or looked for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines, in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. Then they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in rich pastures on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. But the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will judge between one sheep and another and between rams and goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture? Must you also trample the rest of your pasture with your feet? Is it not enough for you to drink clean water? Must you also muddy the rest with your feet? Must my flock feed on what you have trampled and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says to them. See, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forests in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety 
and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops, and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. Then they will know that I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they, the Israelites, are my people, declares the sovereign Lord. You are my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, and I am your God, declares the sovereign Lord. Well, let's pray before we look at this passage together. Father, as we think on what these exiles must have been feeling at this moment in their history, as we meditate on their hopeless situation, we marvel at this great passage, this great promise of restoration, that you would come and shepherd them and lead them. And Father, how they must have looked forward to that day. And Father, how much more reason do we have to rejoice, for we have seen that day come. We know that the good shepherd did arrive, that he is our king. And so, Father, we pray this evening that you, by your Holy Spirit, would help us to understand what it means to call Jesus the good shepherd, what it means to be his sheep and in submission to his authority. May we know the freedom, the peace, the joy and the security that only he can give us. In his name, amen. Well, what do you think makes a good leader? What would be a good example of leadership for you? For me, when I think of a good example of human leadership, there's one name that comes to my mind, and it's uh, Lieutenant, Lieutenant Dick Winters from the TV show Band of Brothers. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen that show. It is um, based upon real life, and it tells the story of soldiers in the American Airborne Division uh, who were involved during the assault on Normandy in World War II. And Lieutenant Dick Winters, for me, is the model of a great leadership because in him you saw someone who was selfless and who would do anything for his men. In fact, in the show, you hear um, real-life interviews from people who followed him and who knew him during the war. And what they said of him was this. He would always lead the way and take the tough option first himself. He never sent anyone in his place. And then one of the other soldiers said this. There are not many officers that I would have followed in that war, but I would have followed him. He was a good leader. Now, we're not going to war, but the truth is that every one of us here needs a good leader. We need a leader whose, whose power and love exceed anything that we can imagine. We need a leader over all our life. We need someone to, to guide us, someone to help us, someone to show us truth, someone to protect us, someone to, to care for us. And what we see here in Ezekiel 34 is that the leader that we need is, of course, God himself. And so what I want to do this evening is explore why God, or or more specifically, why Jesus is the greatest leader that we can have. And and look at what does it look like for us to be under his rule, to, to call him not just our savior, but our shepherd king. But before we get there, we need to see, first of all, why it is that we need him. And in order to see that, we need to see the failure 
of human leaders. And that's how Ezekiel 34 begins, with the greed of Israel's failed shepherds. Now, this metaphor of shepherding for leadership is a common metaphor that is just used all throughout the Bible. The kings of Israel were to care for God's people like a shepherd would care for his sheep. But if you were to read through Israel's history, if you were to read a book like One and Two Kings uh, in the Bible, you would see that that is far from what they did. In fact, it was the, the failure of Israel's monarchy that corrupted this nation, that led them to idolatry, and led them to this, this terrifying judgment that was the exile. Israel's leaders, rather than serve and, and care for the people, they were, they were marked with pride with self-indulgence and with greed. Look at how God describes them in verse 2. This is what the sovereign Lord says, Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, and slaughter the choice animals, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed those who are ill or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. You see, the shepherds, rather than caring for the sheep, they used the sheep to feed themselves. And so what was the consequence of this? What was the consequence of, of the pride of these kings? You can read about what, what happened to them. You can read about what happened to the last king in Jerusalem, King Zedekiah. 2 Kings 25, he was executed outside the city on the day of the exile. But the ultimate consequence, of course, is there in verse 10. God has set himself against them. By the way, I, I don't think there is any more terrifying prospect than to have God set against you And he's against the kings of Judah. What does this mean for the exiles in Babylon? You have to understand that they knew about this great promise that God had given to King David. Promise that from his line would come a king who would establish the kingdom of God and, and rule the kingdom of God forever. And here we hear God saying to them that the line of kings has failed. Indeed, all human leaders will fail. Why? Because when humans get into positions of power, no matter how good they are, they will inevitably twist that and suit that to serve their own ends. And so the message to the exiles was, don't look back. Don't look back to the failed line of kings. Look forward to this new thing that I am doing. And the message to us today is not to be led astray and not to put our hope in, in human leaders or in human institutions or in anything else that this life has to offer. Yes, they are good, and yes, we pray for them. But our hope is not in them. By the way, think about, this, about what this metaphor is saying. Uh, so God calls his people sheep. That, it's not the most flattering metaphor. I don't know if you've ever worked with sheep, um, I have. My granddad is a shepherd. And let me tell you, it is not easy. What are sheep like? They are scared. 
They are easily led astray. They are just targets for predators. And if left to their own devices, they would just, they would just wander off and die. They would just die. Because sheep are dumb. And God's saying, that's what we are like. We need guidance. We need protection. We need care. And part of the, the folly of the human race is that we will look for that anywhere else apart from God the shepherd. It may be in political leaders. It may be in political ideologies. And we think that somehow if we get the right leaders in place, then, then society will be better. But it never has been and, and it never will be. Or it may be that for many of us, that when we come to think about who is it that's in charge of our lives, there is only one person that we can trust, ourselves. And so we like to put ourselves in the shepherd's role. And that's a mistake for two reasons. Firstly, it's a mistake because you're not in charge. Whether you like it or not, there is one king and it is not you. But secondly, we, we lack the, the capability to, to guide and to protect and to care for ourselves. Have you ever seen a sheep by itself? I remember one time when I was on my granddad's farm and I had to help him out. One of the rams went missing and I found it down the road and it had its head stuck in a fence because it was trying to eat grass from this field and it got the head through and it was trying to yank it out and it was panicking and it was freaking out and I managed to get the horns out and to free the ram and then it started to run in the opposite direction in, on the road towards traffic. And so I had to try and run round and I had my granddad's walking sticks and I was whacking the road trying to guide the sheep back to safety so that it wouldn't die. You see, no matter how proud you are, that is what we are like. We can't give guidance because we don't know where our life is going. We can't give protection because we are frail and mortal and even the best of us are selfish sinners. We are like sheep a sheep that's wandered off and got its head stuck in a fence. And we need to be aware of that here in, in the church because remember, who's the audience here? This is God's people that Ezekiel's speaking to. We're the ones in danger of, of wandering away from the truth and looking to the things of this world apart from God. We can easily sing songs like, the Lord is my shepherd. But when it comes to our life throughout the week, we, we look to other people or other things as a basis for our protection, our security, our guidance. Every other shepherd will fail you. Every other shepherd will eventually just steal, take from you, will suck the life from you. We need a perfect shepherd. Someone who has the power to see and control all things. Someone who can selflessly give up everything for his sheep. Someone who will not drag us away from God, but will draw us closer to God. We need God. Oh, exiles, don't look back to the failed line of kings, but God's saying here, look to me as your king. Chapter 34, verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. But there's something else going on in this chapter. God's saying, look to me, look to me. But there's something else going on because God has not forgotten the promise that he gave to David. 
And so look at what he says in, in chapter 34, verse 23. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. So who is the perfect shepherd? Is it Yahweh or is it this new David? Is it God or is it man? And the answer is, of course, it's both. It's the Lord Jesus, the one who is God in the flesh. That's why we read that passage from John 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And so what I want to do for the remainder of our time in in Ezekiel 34 is look at what it means to have Jesus as your shepherd king, to have Jesus as as your leader. He is the ruler that Israel was to look forward to. And he is the ruler that we have today in the church. We see the care of Israel's good shepherd. And the first thing we see the good shepherd do then is he seeks out his people. The exiles have all been scattered because of, the, because of the exile. But have a look at verse 11. I'm going to read this from the ESV because it's just a, a bit of a more helpful translation with this verse. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of cloud and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. You see, the process of restoration does not begin with God's people's initiative. It begins with God's initiative. He seeks out his people. He, he looks for them and he finds them and then he brings them together as one. And, and God did that. Seventy years later, they, they did return back to the land of Israel. But it's bigger than that. Because when Jesus picks up on this idea of seeking for the lost, he doesn't just talk about people in the nation of Israel, he talks about the whole world and he broadens it out to all people. He will seek out those who are lost, not geographically, but those who are lost spiritually. Those who are far from God, just feeling lost and helpless and and confused about life. Jesus says in Luke 15 that that he's like a shepherd who, who leaves 99 sheep to go looking for that one lost sheep. And when he finds the sheep, what does he do? He rejoices. And it's an image that he says is of a sinful person coming to him and saying, I'm sorry for my sin, please forgive me. And the good shepherd rejoices. If you've done that, then do you know that you did not seek him, but he sought you? When we were far from God, he he came and he brought us back. He rescued us from the the cloud and darkness of our sin and he brings us as one to our heavenly father. Do you see why Jesus is such a good leader? Because let me tell you, I know I muck up all the time. I am a messed up sinner. And sometimes when I turn to him in repentance, it does kind of, you feel kind of embarrassed by it, like here we go again. 
But Jesus tells us that there is no begrudging acceptance. Far from it, there is joy when a sinner repents and comes back to Jesus. Like when the shepherd finds that lost sheep. And there's no other leader that can give you that kind of assurance. It's not just seeking that we see the shepherd do. Secondly, we see that he cares for his people. Verse 14. I will tend them in good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and make them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost, bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. See, a good shepherd cares for his sheep. So if Jesus is the good shepherd, how do I know that Jesus cares for me? Let me answer that with Jesus' own words in John 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. You know what made uh, Lieutenant Dick Winters such an inspiring and great leader was that he was willing to lay down his life for his men. But can you imagine if he was willing to lay down his life for the enemy? That would seem foolish. Nobody would do that. And yet don't you realize that that's exactly what Jesus did for us? None of us are on, are on a neutral plane with God. Our pride and our sinfulness meant that that dreadful reality, God was against us. He was against us because of our sin, as he was against the, the shepherds of Israel. But Jesus radically reverses that. How? By laying down his life for the sheep. What? He's just the complete opposite of Israel's failed kings. That whole story of the failed monarchy of Israel was there to show us the success of Jesus and the necessity of Jesus. He doesn't take from his sheep. He gives up everything for them. As he died on that cross, what was he doing? At that moment, the good shepherd was taking the anger of God for our wrongdoing. He was taking it upon himself as he suffered our punishment. He willfully puts himself in our place. And he hangs on that cross, the Son of God, like a piece of meat where he suffers the anguish of having wave upon wave of God's fury and God's anger for all my sin emptied out on him. So that we could be brought back to God, free from all sin. And so if you follow Jesus tonight, God is not against you. In fact, God is for you. That's what Romans 8 tells us. It is Jesus who leads us out of the the dirt and the mire of our sinful rebellion and brings us to the, the green pastures of eternal peace and joy with God. No other shepherd can give you that. And it cost him everything. How naive we can be sometimes to, to think that Jesus doesn't care about me. He, what does he say in John 10? He wants us to have life now, life to its fullest. And a life to its fullest is a life where he is central. 
We know where we're going. We know why we're here. And so if you're here tonight as a Christian, don't look to anything else to to try and fix you. Don't think I need to be married to the right person. I need to get the the right job. I I need to achieve that goal in order for my life to, to be full. All these things will just suck the life out of you. It's only when we come to the feet of the good shepherd who died for our sins that we will know a true care and a true commitment that nothing else in this world can give. Thirdly, and perhaps surprisingly, the good shepherd judges his people. Have a read there in in verse 17. As for you, my flock, this is what the sovereign Lord says, I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Look down at verse 20. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, say to them, see, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, but in all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. What's God saying here? He's not talking about the, the leaders anymore, is he? He's speaking now to the sheep. And I think he's acknowledging that the danger to, to those who were faithful in Israel was not just from their, their kings, but also their fellow sheep. There were many who claimed to be God's people, but they lived in such a way in which they actually exploited the weak and they did not care for the poor. They fed themselves. And God says, as the shepherd, he will judge between his sheep. And that's good news because the good shepherd's protection of his sheep is not just from external threats, but internal threats as well. False teaching, all the threats that might plague the church of Jesus will be dealt with. In fact, do you notice that um, Jesus picks up on this metaphor in Matthew chapter 25, where he says at the end of time, he will separate those who are genuine followers of him between those who are not genuine. He will separate them like a shepherd separates sheep and goats. And the hallmark of those who are genuine is that they will not exploit their fellow Christians. Rather, they clothe them when they're naked. They feed them when they're hungry. They visit them when they're sick. You see, you know that Jesus really is your shepherd when you seek to emulate his shepherding care to others in his church. Finally, and most importantly, the good shepherd gives eternal security and abundant blessings. Do you know... To be a shepherd in the ancient world, you pretty much had to be hard as nails. I mean, we, we've killed this image with, with silly stained glass images like the one up there behind me. And, and it's such a false picture of Jesus. Thankfully, you can't see it because the light's not on. Um, it's such a false picture of Jesus in many ways. We've kind of over-sentimentalized um, this image of what it means to be a shepherd. You had to be hard because in the ancient Near East, there was loads of predators. And basically, sheep were were meals on wheels. They were like a walking buffet line. And so in the days before electric fences, shepherds had to, to sleep out in the fields with their sheep. Why? So that when a predator comes, they could fight it off. That was their job description, to fight wolves. Imagine that. It's because the shepherd's main job was, was to keep his sheep safe. What happens when God makes a promise 
to keep you safe and protect you. Verse 25. I will make a covenant of peace with them and rid the land of savage beasts so that they may live in the wilderness and sleep in the forest in safety. I will make them and the places surrounding my hill a blessing. I will send down showers in season. There will be showers of blessing. The trees will yield their fruit and the crops will yield its crop. The ground will yield its crops. The people will be secure in their land. They will know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of yoke and rescue them from the hands of those who enslaved them. They will no longer be plundered by the nations, nor will wild animals devour them. They will live in safety and no one will make them afraid. I will provide for them a land renowned for its crops and they will no longer be victims of famine in the land or bear the scorn of the nations. God is going to make a promise now that he will give his sheep eternal security and he will shower blessings upon them. Tell me what other leader can give you that? There does not need to be fear and confusion in our lives because no matter what happens, we know where we are going. For the exiles, this was like a a picture of a return to the land of Israel, but it was always meant to be something more than that. They they did go back, and let me tell you, they did not have it easy when they went back. There's something more going on here. And by the time we get to the time of Jesus, this idea of of the promised land, we see was not the physical land of Israel, which in the New Testament, it just kind of fades out of significance. Rather, it's a picture of the new Jerusalem, the new creation of a time when people from all the different nations will be gathered together under the one shepherd's rule in his presence, experiencing the shower of his blessings forever and never fearing any danger or evil ever again. That's where we're going. Nothing can stop that. Nothing can separate us from that. The suffering of this world, the lies of the devil, our own personal failings, the the condemnation that we receive from our conscience or from others or, or from the devil himself, nothing will stop Jesus taking us home. Not even death. Did you notice in the 23rd Psalm that Death's dark veil is not something that we walk into as Christians. Something that the shepherd leads us through. And to know Jesus, therefore, is to know a security like no other and a safety like nothing else. Listen to his words in John 10, verse 27. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I I give them eternal life and they shall never perish No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Remember when when Sinclair was preaching on this passage uh, in our morning services here in St. Peter's, he spoke of the the double security of Jesus, that, that Jesus has got you in his hand and his Father's got you in his hand. Here's the thing, when when Jesus finds you, he keeps you. And nothing will remove that, nothing will change that. Secure in his grace, secure in his care, he will lead you to the promised land. 
we're done, but here's my, my closing questions. Firstly, have you let Jesus be your shepherd? If not, why not? He is the king, but he's not a king like any other king that we know. He's a shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. He is the truth. He is the life. And he is the only way to get to God. It's the only way to be free. Secondly, though, are you living as if Jesus is your shepherd? Not just your savior, but, but your shepherd. Are, are you depending upon him daily in prayer like a sheep would depend upon a shepherd? Are you looking to his guidance? Are you, are you looking for his protection? Are you trusting in him alone? Draw closer to him and, and let him rule every area of your life. Only then will, will true contentment and peace be possible. Because here's the thing about the shepherd Jesus that, that he says in John 10, and maybe we miss it, but it's really important to remember. He is good. He is so, so good. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the great promise that you gave to your people in exile and how we saw that promise answered at the arrival of the shepherd king, the Lord Jesus, and how he fulfilled it in ways that were unimaginable, how he expanded these great promises to all the nations, how he brought them together as one under his shepherd rule, how he will bring us to the land free from all danger and eternal security, how he showers abundant blessings, how he gives us life now to its fullest and life for all eternity. Help us to remember that, Jesus, you are a shepherd and therefore we depend upon you for all things. We make silly mistakes in life and we need you we need your help. We need your guidance. We need your protection. And so may we be ever dependent upon you. And help us also to remember that you are good. And it's so good to be following such a good king. It's so freeing. May we see something of your goodness this week as we think upon who you are. May that draw us closer to submit every area of our life to your shepherding rule. Thank you, Jesus, that when you get us, when you seek us, you keep us. Thank you for the safety we have to be in your hands. That There is now no condemnation for us. Because God is for us and therefore who can be against us? So we thank you for your shepherding care. Help us to always remember who you are and to submit every area of our life to your rule. Amen. Well, we're going to close by singing the 23rd Psalm. We're going to sing Psalm 23, in which David celebrates, David, of course, himself, the great shepherd king, celebrates the ultimate shepherd king, God himself,